Hi, lovely pals. I hope you're well, wherever it is you're listening to this from. I am going to talk about a big topic today, a topic of getting lost. And I was inspired by a book that I recently picked up. It's a book by Rebecca Solnit, and it's called Field Guide to Getting Lost. It's an old book, actually, from 2006, so I'm, I'm probably, what, 16 years late to the party. I love Rebecca's books. One of my absolute favourite ones, called Hope in the Dark, is my go-to for when times are tough, particularly times outside of my immediate bubble, especially when the big injustices of big powers slapped us in the face and tightened the grip around our chests, when we, we feel that there's nothing we can do and when we feel there's no hope, she makes case for one. So if you haven't heard about it, if you haven't read it yet, I definitely recommend it. And so I was really excited about the Getting Lost book. Unfortunately, this one did not speak to me in the same way as her other books. And it saddens me a bit because actually it is beautifully written, a very typical soul need book, very much in depth, very philosophical, at times poetic, making you feel connected to the world and, and to her and to people. It is all in it. <laughs> There's something wrong with me, clearly. Um, I'm not sure why I, did, why I did not agree with me, but I think sometimes you find that you, you pick a book and you're just in the wrong type of mood for that particular one. And, and this happens to me quite a lot. And then I go back to it one year later and absolutely love it. Or I go back to it a year later and dislike it even more. Just hate it. <laughs> Can't bear it. Delete, delete from Kindle because I'm now on Kindle. So hard to tell. But with this book, I put it back on on my virtual Kindle shelf and it's there gathering the cyber dust. But it did give me an idea for this podcast episode. So <laughs> it did something. Getting lost. Honestly, now, I implore you to think, when was the last time you got lost? And I don't mean lost like I get lost on a regular basis, where, I don't know, I walk somewhere, I'm thinking about something and I'm not really following the road, and suddenly I'm like, oops, where am I? Did I just cross the river over the bridge, not like Jesus? Um, but then I pull out my phone and my boyfriend Google Maps tells me where to go, <laughs> tells me where I am and then tells me where to go. And I consult Google Maps so often that you might think we are in a relationship. So not that kind of getting lost. I mean the actual I am lost, lost, no access to phone, to map, to nothing, capital letters, lost. Now, pause this episode, if you have to, and really think about it. Once I, once I saw that book on getting lost, I walked around for a couple of days thinking, hang on, when did I really get lost trying to account for all these occasions? And I cannot actually believe how rarely. And I am that generation that spent some good years without a mobile phone. I think I didn't get a mobile phone till I was 15. 
and then I did not have internet on it till my late twenties. So it could give it. It would, in theory, that should have given me loads of opportunities to be lost. But it happened four times. So four times altogether in nearly four, four decades of my life. What? So first two times I got lost. I was a child. The first time, the, the first ever one, I have no memory of it whatsoever because I was asleep. There was a party at my parents' house, which was a very social house back in the day, and I fell asleep on one of those sofa beds in one of the rooms. And it's one of the beds which can be laid flat so kids could just jump around and play on it. And I, I just fell asleep. And then I rolled in my sleep into that space between the wall and the sofa. And some hours later, absolute panic ensued, apparently. I mean, I, I can't remember that. But according to people's tales, my parents discovered that I was missing and, and everybody was searching for me. You know, I was nowhere, nowhere to be found. I think it was winter. So where would I have gone? If I had gone outside, I'd have frozen to death, right? So, you know, church bells in the village were ringing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. There were no bells. But it took them a hot minute to locate me. Again, zero recollection of being located. And it's just one of these stories that my parents tell people when someone asks, oh, what was she like when she was a child? <laughs> Had a big mouth and loved sleeping. That's me. That's getting lost, number one. And then the second time I got lost, I was very awake. My estimate from various corroborations of this story placed me somewhere at the age of five or six. And this is actually one of my very, very first memories. A circus came to town. Oh, I nagged and nagged and nagged till cows came home and donkeys came home and so did chickens and horses and sheep and the dog and the shepherd. I don't know who else. And and the nag was about going to that circus, which my dad was very much against. But for me, it was all about clowns. I loved clowns so much because they were funny and sad at the same time. Like I couldn't cope with that concept. I was so obsessed with them. They were like the first thing that was not easy to understand because they were both sad and happy. In my small, tiny child's world, that completely like blew my mind. Now, I think I was just dumb and confused because I mixed clowns with mimes. They sort of merged into this one entity. Anyway, I'm nagging my poor father and then he says yes. And honestly, I did not know what circus involved, really. And when we got there, I did not love it <laughs> at all. First, massive, massive queue. I always hated queuing. And after that, you wait to be let into the actual circus. You kind of just wander, you just wander around quite a lot before they let you in. And then I saw them, these animals in cages, I was so sad, so mesmerized with that sadness of what I saw. They were really not healthy looking animals. It actually was the first time I saw a tiger and a lion and they looked sick, as in unwell. And I I really just wanted to go home. But then <laughs> the clans, right? So 
clans were performing, so it was a tough call. But, but I think I made up my mind at that point, and I, I was trying to say something to my dad. I looked up, and suddenly he was not there. Oh, I know many people have this childhood trauma of getting lost in a shopping mall, in a, a circus, but mainly it's shops. And it's awful, huh? It's really awful, because he's a small kid, and everyone is towering above you. And, and this is what I remember. Massive crowd, loud music, everyone sort of looking over me, being really tall. Quite a scary experience. And I remember the smell. I have a really vivid memory of that smell. Like a smell of loads of bodies. It's like sweat. But also that that snack. Oh, what's that? I never know the name of it. That's really stupid. I should have checked before recording. But you know the fluffy sugar cloud. Oh, why is it called? Um, cotton candy. There you go. And I'm just there. So standing, completely frozen. And then someone puts their live freaking burning cigarette on my nose. Accidentally, obviously, they just hold this cigarette in their hand and they lower it. It touches my nose, this burning cigarette. I mean, I was in hell and I have no idea how to locate my dad. And then I don't know what happened next or how it happened. But he found me sitting by the lion cage. I was not a panicky child at all, not a stressy child. And, you know, when I think about it now, my dad must have been petrified. But he's not a panicky grown-up either, neither, neither. I never know them. And so he located me with my burnt nose, but all right. And apparently I was all right. I just sort of sat there knowing that he would come and get me. And then, and then, oh God, we still had to go to see the performances. This sort of happened. We didn't have time to catch up on what happened. We just went in and guess what? There were no clowns. (laughs) All that for nothing. I have such incredible dislike of circus. I can't bear it. So this is a bit sad, right? Then one of my first vivid memories of something. <laughs> my One of my first vivid memories is about being lost. But in the same time, I did not and do not feel that it was particularly traumatic. It could have been so much worse. And I sort of knew my dad would find me. It's a small town. You know, I, I would manage somehow. But that's my first ever awake experience of getting lost. Now, third time or second awake time, I'll be quick with this one because and this is a story of me being an idiot. I went to mountains for a trek and because there were very low mountains, this is happening in Poland, I did not really prepare for it properly. I did not take loads of food with me. I did not dress properly or appropriately. I just went like you go for a walk. Completely by myself. And this was my birthday. So I'm walking, walking and walking. And I have no clue where I am. I cannot see any of these arrows which you normally see. And you're supposed to follow. And all I can think of is... Oh, yes, I'll be on the local TV as that idiot who had to be rescued from the easiest mountains to trek in Poland because that idiot got lost. Got lost in a place that it's it's just not, it's impossible to get lost in these mountains. They're tiny. 
But I thought, you know what, I'll just keep walking, I'll end up somewhere, I'll see someone, I'll ask. You know, this is summer, people come to mountains. I had no phone on me, no map. I mean, it's pointless for me to have a map, it's pointless, I can't really read them properly. And then, and then this storm comes out of nowhere, proper full-blown storm. Lightning, check. More lightnings, check. Thunder, check. Rain, like the sky just opened and will never close again, check. Rain that does not stop, check. It suddenly gets very, very dark and very eerie, check. Angels of the apocalypse are descending, playing trumpets, check. Choice of music, smooth jazz. Not check, obviously, they're playing death metal. I mean, this is how I die, right? And then I remember that you have to go and hide under a tree. So I run under a tree. And when I get there, I can start questioning myself. Hang on, do I run under the tree or is it far from the tree? And I cannot remember. I know... I know there is something to do during a storm that involves trees. So I take my chances. And by that, I mean I spent this storm time running between under the tree and far from it. That's that's what you do when you're taking your chances. And then I keep walking because I got really tired. And then dragging my exhausted body back and forth. Now, I have double-checked that, and apparently standing under the tree is the worst thing you can do in the storm. Being underneath a tree is the second leading cause of lightning casualties. (laughs) Guess, this, um, this is not a laughing matter. Guess what is first? Being in the open space. Is the, is the leading cause of lightning casualties. <laughs> it's ludicrous. I stood no chance. And yet, here I am. The storm passed. I don't know, I don't know how long, how long it, it lasted. I was completely knackered. And then I looked around and actually there was a clear path going down to a small village. And I only took like half an hour to get to. So I was, <laughs> was I really lost? Or was I just stupid? I let you decide. It's a scary experience. Like one of the scariest experiences because it's me versus nature and and the chances of nature winning in this scenario is quite high. So overall not a great experience of being lost, right? A third one or the third one awake experience of being lost. And the last one. Uh this was my one of my most metaphysical experiences of my entire life. I lived in Hungary. I, in fact, just moved to Budapest. Made some new friends and I had this feeling that everything would be great. Uh, I was going to stay there for a year. I felt this in every tiny bone of my body and in big bones too. I knew I was in the right place and that this was my year of experience. Experience in massive capital letters. I had no money, but I was young and my head was open really wide. It was like a metaphorical clasp, keeping my head open and holding it open to everything new and interesting and different and this very, very different world. 
I will make I will make an episode about this. And you know, when I'm senile, I really want to remember these experiences. Uh, so maybe even two episodes. But for now, I am in Budapest, and I'm coming back from Pest to Buda. If you have never been, Pest is more sort of party party. Buda is more residential. Very lovely, beautiful city. Recommend it. Shame about the government. Anyway, I'm on a night bus going home. I was so tired because I had some wines. It was late, late night, sort of on the other side of the night. And the bus was really crowded. And sometimes when I had a long way to go on a night bus, I would do this thing when I act really, really sober and hunch and create a belly. And then I touch it with love and tenderness and look at someone and I'll give you a seat. I'm not proud of this, but, you know, I would not deprive an old lady of a seat or a disabled person. No, no, my target were usually very young men who got the first. So, you know, I touch my fake pregnant belly. I look them in the eye, look at the belly, look at them. And then they have no choice. These gentlemen have no choice. And this is what happened that night. I faked pregnancy and I got a seat. And then I fell asleep and I woke up in the forest. <laughs> Not not in the forest forest. I was um I was still in the bus that was driving past the forest with only one passenger apart from me. I obviously missed my stop. So I thought, you know, no problem. I'll get to the end of this line and then I'll come back on the same bus. So I had an sorted, right? I had a nap again, obviously. And then the driver woke me up and I didn't know what he was saying. My Hungarian language um, skills were not great. It was just not sufficient, basically, to communicate with bus drivers on intricacies of next steps upon <laughs> reaching a certain destination. Somehow we we managed to, to communicate to a degree and it transpired that he was not going anywhere till morning, like five or six or something like that. It was night bus, Yeah. <laughs> Like, what is the point of view, night boss? So I was totally lost. I had no clue where I was. I think I had my phone on me, but I was dead. I had no money for taxi. I was stuck in some weird bus terminal thing that looked a bit scary. And I was I was allowed to stay in the bus, so it was fine. And then this other man, the, the other passenger, just made himself very comfortable on the seats. He lied down, fell asleep. So he created this precedent. Okay, if he can, I can too. So I was fine. I was safe. Um, and then I really needed to pee. <laughs> really needed to go. So I go to the driver and explain that in my best Hungarian. <laughs> as if I use the body language. And so he opens the door very fast. But then I realized that I did not think it through. Where will I pee? I cannot in the vicinity of the bus. I mean, this man needs to to drive me, take me back to the city. I don't want him to see me pee. I don't know, like, what the connection between these two things is. But, like, stay with me. And then I think, I'm not going to go too far. Because if I get kidnapped, he will never know. Here, I'm in the bus driver. And, listen, he was not concerned about me at all he was not worried that this weird foreigner is on his bus I was no longer on his bus indifferent so if a gang of 
Hungarian Robin Hoods kidnap me, he will not go into the woods to revenge me, <laughs> like look for me. It's not going to happen. And then I saw the light. Like actually, actually I saw the light, not metaphorically. There was this tiny wooden kind of hut just behind where the bus was. It looked like a kochma. A kochma is a Hungarian version of a sort of bar. But might have been a house. I I didn't know at that point, but there was life inside. So chances were that the bad Hungarian Robin Hoods were planning my kidnapping there. But chances also were that there was a toilet. And as I was moving closer to that place, music was coming from there. So I thought, okay, I'll go in. So pause, I go in. I say a little prayer. Please let it not be my end. I open the door, like I knock, but no one says anything. So I just open the door and there sits a bunch of Roma men and some women. And some of these people have their music instruments and has this complete silence when they see me. The absolute silence welcomes me as I open the door. And then in my worst Hungarian, I ask if I can use the toilet And this lady shows me where to go, so I go and pee. And then I come out, and this silence is still very silent. It's still very quiet. It's quite uncomfortable because everyone is looking at me. I also probably, I must have looked really tired. I don't know. A weird situation, right? And this woman gets up, and she tells me to sit. And so I sit. And then she moves to a different part of this establishment, And and comes back with some tea. It's still really quiet. And I sit there just like smiling awkwardly. And then I say, pointing at myself, Lengel. In Hungarian, this means Polish. And then everybody laughs. They just start laughing. And I laugh too. We all laugh. This is a Hungarian version of Monty Python, right? And then... As we laugh, this man just starts playing his violin and then someone else plays something else and some people are singing as if nothing happened. And actually, well, nothing happened. These people, these magical people in this weird magical bar-like thing welcomed me into their little night community of, I want to say, magicians, musicians, musicians at night. I... I have no idea if I got the same bus or another bus bus back home. But when it was dawn, I just got up and left. And I jumped on the bus that was there. I felt this absolute exhaustion, like complete exhaustion. There was no, oh, I'm a bit sleepy now, I'll go home. No, I felt like every muscle in my body was relaxed. And no, I didn't take any drugs. This music, this community, these people just let me into something absolutely magical. I inhaled a bit of magic and I am a very nocturnal person. The the world is different at night. It is a bit scarier, but it is also so much more interesting, I think. And when I got home, I wrote about this in my diary And I looked at this diary entry now in preparation for this episode. And it says, 
did I just dream about this? And then I describe what happened. As I said, one of the most magical things that happened to me in my entire life. And so this was my last and my absolute best getting lost experience. A little bit scary, of course. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I feel nothing. I open all doors to strange establishment without so much as a thought. No, of course, I'm not saying that. But I also felt like maybe I had some sort of a deal with the universe to let me experience everything, but keep me safe, yeah? But I felt in that year of experience, I really needed to see and touch and feel and taste and be in all the places and explore and understand and feel how things work in this complicated, fascinating world. And Budapest was my microcosm where all these was made possible. So I had somehow less fear of getting lost and and of losing myself too. And that was the year I felt most free in my entire life. And I I actually think freedom and getting lost are somehow connected. I'm not sure which way, but maybe one just leads to the other both ways. I feel free... And so I am able to get lost and I get lost and that makes me feel free. Something to think about, right? I did not pick that Rebecca's book on getting lost accidentally. I picked it up because I have been feeling a bit more lost than usual recently. And this this has been the past few years. And I speak to so many people about this. I'm very open about it. I think the world is becoming a very complex, very difficult place to navigate. And I don't know whether I'm navigating it the right way. And I ask myself loads of questions about that. And I I talk to many, many people about that feeling, feeling a bit lost, lost in in the thought of whether we're doing the right thing or not the right thing or how to do better and in a way these discussions these conversations really help me to know that I'm not alone in it but on the other hand it makes me feel like this is not it's not right that so many people feel lost and confused we are all experiencing these weird existential sort of crises And Rebecca's book did not give me an answer on how to how to solve this, although I should have read it till the end, maybe before saying so. But now I thought about my own experiences of being physically lost and whether there was anything that I could learn from them. Is there a way to get found? Is there a way to become unlost? And I came up with four options. Option one, do not even notice that you are lost. Fall asleep and let others find you. Now, it's a bit too late for that. I'm very acutely aware of my state. But maybe this is a metaphor for just suppressing your feelings about being lost and just getting on with things. Not an option for me, but an option. That's option one. Option two, keep calm. Go find a lion to sit by and hope that someone finds you. Not sure what the lion is a metaphor for, maybe something that keeps you safe. 
Now, the problem with this approach is that you need someone to find you. And some of us might not be lucky to have such a person. And that's okay. That just means it's not an option for everyone. And also, sometimes we think we might have that person. But then they look around, don't find you, and just go see clowns in a circus without you. Oh, that turned very, very dark. Or sometimes we think we don't have anyone like this in our lives. And then someone shows up for us. It's a very complex option, that one. And leaves you a bit out of control. Option number three. Run. (laughs) Run (laughs) from one not thought through solution to the other. Exhaust yourself in the process. Keep running in circles the storm will pass and then you walk down and you find a village. You might or might not get pneumonia in the process. Option four, and that's the last one. You let yourself be lost. Sit with being lost. Open doors to weird places. If these places are too scary, maybe ask a friend to come with you. (laughs) Or that random bus driver. Or a therapist to help you prepare for opening this door. And at the end of the day, you need to pee somewhere. And you never know what kind of spectacular magic that might lead you to. Boom. This is enough Zima philosophy for a year, hey? And now, on that note, it's also time for me to get lost. Take care, everyone. Bye.